Yeah, Father, we just thank you for your presence that's filling every home right now. We just speak the life, the peace, the joy, the righteousness of God into every home, into every heart, into every life that's listening to this, that's been worshiping with us. We just thank you for the privilege, Lord, of just being your children. Thank you for the privilege of being your family, of being able to do things like this, where we love you, where we encounter you, where we experience you, not just individually, but together as a family, as a community. And so, Father, I just release the anointing of your Holy Spirit right now unto every heart, every life, every soul. And I just pray that you open our hearts, that you open our minds right now to receive the truth of your word that would set us free, that would liberate us, that would catapult us into the destiny of God for our lives, into the kingdom of God now in our today. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here, that you're present. Wow, I just thank you that you so love your church, you so love your people, that you you don't need an excuse or, or a reason. You are the reason, Lord. You, Jesus was the reason on the cross to be intimate, to be close. It, it revealed to us your heart and your nature that you actually desire to be so close and intimate with us. And so right now we enter in to that, Lord. As we transition from, from worship expressed in music now into the Word, I thank you that the posture of worship, our hearts just positioned in humility and adoration to receive everything that you have, Lord, we, we continue in that place right now, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So we just thank you, even now in this moment, that you release healing, that you minister to every heart, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray as I share the word this morning, that your hand would be upon me, Lord, that you would take control of my tongue, and that you would speak the truth that you want to impart, the truth that you want to release. We just want, we want to be equipped. We want to be stirred. We want to be encouraged. We want to be everything that you've called us to be as a church. So we just say, yes, come and do what you want to do in us today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What a privilege to be with you in your homes. I wish I could see your faces, but I'm grateful that you at least can see mine. And um, I'm, I'm just excited to open the Word together as a family. And I, I believe we're in a beautiful, incredible, explosive season as a church. There's many exciting things coming up. Um, but I also believe that God's on the move. And we have to get our hearts stirred and expectant and full of faith to come into alignment with what God is doing at this time. And so I want to encourage you, get excited. Just Allow the Holy Spirit to stir joy in your heart that you're a part of a family like 24-7 Church and that you're actually working together with brothers and sisters to see the kingdom of God advanced, not only in our city and our nation, but to the ends of the earth. So what a privilege. Thank you so much for, for tuning in with us. Um, I, I want to dive straight into to a message um, this morning, and I, I want to set it up by just saying this. Um, we are, are living in, in really interesting times. And the last couple of months, I think nobody knew this was coming and nobody was prepared. But God knew and God was prepared and God knew exactly what he was going to lead his church into. And so this is not an unknown time for God. This is a, a, a very intentional, a very specific, detailed time where the Lord is doing an incredible work in the bride. And we have the privilege of being his children and, and having our confidence and our security in the fact that God knows so that we don't have to. So I want to encourage you this morning before we get into the Word, get your hopes up, get your faith stirred, get excited to open the Word. Um, we're going to talk about something really powerful and, uh, and exciting. Uh, and this, by the end of this, what I pray is that you are going to be so pumped to be a part of this. And uh, so if, you, if you've got your journals and your notes and your, um, 
your Bibles open, uh, what I'm going to speak about today is the rising ecclesia or ecclesia. Um, so you can, you can write that as your, as your heading. And um, I just want to say this. In South Africa, we, we as the church, obviously we were caught off guard with a lot of the adjustments and things that we had to make real quick. But the church was not put to sleep. The church was not put on pause. The church didn't stop because we stopped having specific uh, styles of gatherings. No, we are the church. And actually, what I want to share today is that in a time like this, we are the answer to everything that we're facing. And uh, you might not believe me yet, but by the end of this, you will, in Jesus' name. And, um, and uh, I also just want to say this, that I think sometimes we're so quick to roll over um, as the church, or so quick to kind of just give in to what's just happening around us and the flow of the age and decisions that are being made. And uh, I, I'm all about honor. I'm all about submitting to our leaders and our government. And so uh, I believe in that. But I want to encourage you that I do think we've come into a season now where God is asking us to activate our spirits, to activate our hearts, to begin to believe, to begin to step out and risk and faith and obedience to the things of the kingdom uh, that might not make sense in the natural, but we're going to see the supernatural of God begin to overcome and overpower things here in the natural realm. But that requires a specific type of people. And uh, that's what we're going to get into today. But I, I also have felt that during this time, it's shaken people right to the core of what you believe. And uh, you might find in this season, uh, one of the things that's been tested the most is conviction. Uh, what are the things that you have conviction about? What do you actually believe? Because it's funny, I, I've looked at my own journey and my own life, and I'm passionate about healing, and I'm passionate about people uh, being healed and set free. But it's funny, suddenly a, a virus comes and tells you to stay in your home. And uh, you start to question whether you should risk and step out and pray for people or whether you should see healing actually expressed because, you know, well, COVID's here and so we should all be social distancing. Well, how are people going to experience the kingdom of God if we're all afraid and hiding away? And so there is a way, and this is what we're going to get into today. There is a way to walk in honor but still be obedient to the true king of every single son and daughter of God. And uh, so I want you to get excited. This is going to be really, really um, equipping and stirring. And uh, this is a message for 24-7 Church because I believe that we're becoming something in this season that we have longed for, that we have dreamed for, but we're taking a, a huge stride forward into the expression of what's been uh, in our hearts, what we've been carrying for years and years and years. And so when you hear this message, if you're a part of 24-7 Church, I want you to let this really stir your heart, uh, allow it to, to begin to birth something, not just an idea or a concept or something that we're hoping will happen one day, but actually that this is our reality as a community right now. This is who we are. So we're going to talk about the ecclesia. For some of you, that sounds like gibberish. You have no idea what I've just said to you or what word that is, and I'm going to explain it to you. So real quick, grab your Bibles, open the book of Matthew. Let's go to chapter 16, and uh, I'm going to set this up. So we've got a passage of Scripture here that a lot of us will know, know well. We're going to read uh, in chapter 16 from verse 15. But just as you're finding that, I just want to explain something to you. The English language, um, we've done our best to translate the Bible as accurately as possible from the Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek um, uh, manuscripts. And, uh, and so we, we, we have words in English that maybe don't give the full expression of what the original word is. I'll give an example. Um, we use the word saved, that we get saved. But the, the word sozo uh, in, the, in the Greek and in the Aramaic and Hebrew, it's actually, um, there's a whole lot more to it. It's, it's healed, delivered, saved, set free, um, made whole, redeemed. There's a whole lot more words that explain that. And it's the same with the word church. Now, the word church is a powerful word. 
Um, the reason why we say church is because it means of the Lord. That's the, that's the uh, exact meaning of the word church. It means of the Lord. But it actually only came into our translation under King James. And so if you've got a, a, an old King James version, uh, he at the time was the head of the Anglican church. And uh, he made some adjustments to, to how it was translated into English. And uh, his motives and his reasoning wasn't exactly the best, but we won't go down that history class. But that was the first time that the word church actually came into the translations. Before King James, instead of seeing the word church in your Bible, you would have seen assembly. Um, assembly or gathering. Um, but when we go all the way back to the original uh, writings of the Bible, uh, the Greek word that Jesus used. So this came out of the mouth of Jesus. When he spoke about his church, he used the word ecclesia. And I want to explain to you what that word actually means. In the Aramaic, the word is kahila, and it means the same thing. The word actually comes from the Greeks and the Romans. And uh, this is really interesting. I love history, and so when I read up about this stuff, it gets me excited. But Jesus used a word that was relevant to them in their current situation as society. And, uh, and this word actually... When he said it, there was a picture in their heads. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And for us, I think we might have lost a little bit of this picture. But the ecclesia was used first by the Greeks. And what they would do is they would gather about 6,000 men over the age of 18. And uh, they would come together to decide laws that were going to be introduced to society, military strategy and tactics, uh, and governmental decisions that they were making. So they brought this uh, community of civilians, 6,000 men over the age of 18, to make governmental kingdom decisions based on the region that they were in. That was the first time we saw this. Then the Romans actually adopted this concept, and they implemented it into their empire. And it's a really remarkable um, thing that they did. So the emperor would, would have this council of people that he would uh, surround himself with, where they would be like the scribes that wrote down his decrees and the things that he wanted to see happen in his empire. So in his kingdom, he had things that he wanted to see happen. And these people, the ecclesia, would be the scribes that write this down and then carry the responsibility to make sure these things happen in the empire. That's actually where the word ecclesia comes from. And so if you want a, a very specific word or definition um, for, for, for the church or the ecclesia as we know it, it's an assembly of people called out to govern. That is what the ecclesia is. And that is what the church, as Jesus described it to be, uh, is called to become. So... We use this word church, and it means of the Lord. And I, what I'm sharing with you now is, is not to say that I don't like the word church. I love the word church because we are of the Lord. And it is one of the closest words that we can use to describe what Jesus was saying. But I think along with this word church and with the Western style of doing church has come a mindset and a mentality that is not the full expression of the ecclesia that Jesus was talking about. And so in no way am I saying that what we do as a church or have been doing for a long time in the West is wrong. I just think that there's more. And so I want to encourage you. We have the most incredible services, the most powerful gatherings where we worship Jesus together. We minister to God, where the word is preached, where people are equipped. They're hearing the gospel, where people are ministered to, healing, signs, wonders happen. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's powerful. And we're going to see that grow and increase in this season. But what we're going to see more of is an understanding for every believer that we are a part of an assembly of people called out to govern and to administrate 
God's principles, God's ways, the desires of God's heart. He's the king, and now we are called to be ministers of his kingdom here on the earth to make sure that his desires become a reality everywhere that we go. And so majority of what's going to happen as the ecclesia of God, the church, is going to happen outside of the four walls of a service. See, what we have is services that happen every weekend, and they're, they're beautiful because it's a time for us to get together in unity. But most of your life is lived outside of those four walls. Most of your life is lived outside of a corporate gathering. And so this is where we are going to begin to understand that the ecclesia that we're called to become is everywhere that we go, and it invades every single sphere of society, every place that we go to. The problem is we've built a... a mindset of ministry around pulpits. And so when somebody feels called to the ministry, and, and believe me, God calls many people to pulpit ministry. It is a necessity in the church. It's a necessity in the ecclesia. We need to equip. We need to train. We need to be constantly bringing the truth into the ecclesia, into the gatherings that we have so that we can become. But not everybody is called to, the, to a pulpit ministry. And it shouldn't be seen as something that's higher than the rest. It shouldn't be viewed as a goal or something that I need to, if I actually want to do things for God, I need to get to the pulpit. No, God has called you as a kingdom administrator, an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. And he's going to place you in spheres of influence that he's called you to manifest heaven. And, and we've got to get as serious about those callings as we would about getting an opportunity to stand at a pulpit. We've got a generation coming through right now that want to give their lives to Jesus, but the mentality that's come with that is that means I need to be uh, a pastor who stands uh, at a pulpit and preaches to people. No, God has actually called the generation to invade the earth. We cannot invade the earth if we're so focused on just trying to get inside of four walls. God's going to put you in environments that are so uncomfortable and they freak you out. And you might be in, in, in work situations that are difficult and it's a tough environment. Well, that's exactly where you need to be because you are the light of the kingdom in the darkness. You're bringing the rule and reign of God. And you need to be as serious about that call as you would be if you were given an opportunity on a pulpit or on a stage. Now, some people are terrified of pulpits, and I understand that. There's introverted people. I never want to be near a microphone or near a pulpit. But God has called you, and He's going to conquer the insecurities that would try to hold you back so that you can shine and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and demonstrate the gospel everywhere that you go. So in no way am I knocking the word church. I'm just trying to paint a fuller picture of the expression of what God's called us to be. Everybody with me? Awesome. So let's jump to Matthew 16, verse 15. The context here, um, in fact, we're going to read from verse 13 just to make sure we understand everything. Now, when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus has just set them up for this beautiful moment. Now Peter responds. He says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Pause there for a second. Now we know, I've, I've said this in, in preachers before, uh, Jesus wasn't talking about building his whole entire church on one man, Peter. No, Peter's name, uh, Pet, uh, Petros, means little stone. 
And, uh, and then he says, and on this rock, Petra, big stone, I'll build my church. The rock that he's talking about is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he just mentioned before, which Peter received from the Father. So we know that the foundation of the church is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anytime that the church tries to build on anything other than an encounter and a revelation of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the highest, the first, the one who should hold first place in our heart, anything other than that is not what Jesus is building on. And so we've got to be real careful as the church that we don't get sucked into a whole bunch of things that are happening around us and try and build the church on those things thinking that they're in need but missing the cornerstone of the church, which is the revelation of Jesus. Because it's the revelation of Jesus that sets you free from the stuff that's happening around you. And I don't need to go into detail about what's happening around us right now. There is so many different uh, issues in society that have you know, jumped out and started screaming at the church and demanding attention and demanding action and demanding a response to this. And what's your reaction to that? And do you do this in your church? Do you do that? Let me just encourage you as believers. We are called to be built on the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must stay firm in that foundation. But I find this very interesting. I did a little study on, on this passage of Scripture, and, and I was really, really uh, blown away. Because Jesus has taken His disciples to a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi, which actually is a pagan town in the area. And uh, there, were, there were three demonic uh, temples or, or uh, locations in the city. One was the Temple of Caesar, which was literally an entire temple dedicated to Caesar. The second one was the temple of the Greek god Pan, uh, where a lot of really hectic, evil uh, sacrifices and, and a lot of demonic activity was happening. And then the third one, this, will, this is really interesting for those that love studying the Word, there was actually a physical location called the Gates of Hades. And it was a cave through which satanic and demonic sacrifices, human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, the most demonic, horrific stuff happened because they believed that this cave was actually a doorway into the underworld, a doorway into the realm of the dead. And they believed that this, the, the god of their town, the uh, Greek god called Pan, that in the winter he actually would go and live in the underworld. And if they didn't give sacrifices to him, he wouldn't come back and they wouldn't be blessed. So there's some serious demonic evil activity happening here. And so the gates of Hades, Jesus is using this example to explain the influence of hell, but it was literally right in front of them. They were in a city where they knew gates of Hades, that there's some real evil demonic stuff that happens there. And so Jesus says on this rock, the revelation of, of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Son of God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What he's doing is he's taking his disciples to this location and he's saying this right now is one of the darkest, most evil, scary places to be. And I'm telling you that I'm going to build an ecclesia. I'm going to build a council, an assembly of people called out to govern that this demonic realm will not overpower them. We will actually bring the light of the gospel into these regions. We will actually conquer the darkness. And so they knew this. Remember, hear this in the context of the ecclesia, because they knew that Caesar had an ecclesia that was called to administer the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, I'm building mine, and it's going to overpower even these dark realms here that, that even the, the earthly government has no control over. He's saying, actually, my ecclesia will rise above every kingdom of the earth, and it will conquer not just in the realm of the natural, but also in the spirit. That actually, as the ecclesia of God, we are called to bring spiritual victory, the domain of God and the spirit, but we're also called to bring a natural expression and demonstration of the kingdom of God on the earth. 
And so Jesus is he's using this context to explain this. And then he says to them, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. And whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he went down and took the keys of death, of, of death in the grave, of, of Hades. He, he took the keys from the devil. So the devil is left with, with a gate that he doesn't have the keys to. Do you understand how this puts you in a place of victory where all the devil has right now is a gate of influence that he doesn't even have the keys to. And Jesus took the keys and he turned those keys into the keys of the kingdom, which he's now given to his ecclesia. And he's saying, you have authority to rule and reign on the earth in every sphere of society, not just in four walls where you can protect an environment, but actually right in front of hell's gate, right in the most uh, dark and horrible and terrible places where the most demonic things are happening. You're called to bring the kingdom of God right there. And on this rock, the revelation of Jesus, he's going to build his ecclesia. He's going to build a council that will one day be the bride of Christ that stand before him, radiant, beautiful, and clothed in righteous deeds. So this is a really powerful scripture now when you read it in this context, because Jesus is actually positioning what he is calling his church, not just to be a people who gather, but to be a people who invade. And so gathering is important. We know there's so many other scriptures. We don't have time to go through that today. We know we're called to gather, but there's a purpose to our gathering. The reason why we gather is to be equipped, to be stirred, to be blessed, to minister to the Lord, to encounter God in a corporate setting, to be uh, clothed with what God's speaking over His bride right now so that when we walk out, when we go into the areas of our callings and the ministries that God's called us to do, we're going to see the kingdom of God advance. Uh, jump in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. I know I'm talking fast. I'm going to do my best to slow down. Acts chapter 19 is one of my favorite um, chapters in Acts because it's such a, a beautiful picture of a powerful, dynamic church that's bringing uh, revival to their city. So let's read from verse 1. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos uh, was in Corinth, Paul went through the upper districts and came down to Ephesus and found some disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in Jesus as the Christ? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he asked, into what then were you baptized? They said to him, into John's baptism. Paul said, John performed a baptism of repentance, continually telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, um, that is, in Jesus. After hearing this, they were baptized again this time in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in unknown tongues, languages, and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Okay, so here's a little introduction. Paul comes into a region, finds a group of people, and uh, they get baptized in the name of Jesus, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's starting with 12. This is a little community. He's coming to a region, and it's a small little group of guys that are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. And listen to what happens. And he went into the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient to the word of God, discrediting and speaking evil of the way uh, before the congregation, Paul left them, taking the disciples with him, and went on holding daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So now 
uh, he, was, he spends three months in the synagogue with the religious uh, leaders and, and congregation in that place. And some of them have hardened their hearts to the gospel, and so they're rejecting it. So Paul actually takes the disciples, and they find a new location, and they start to meet there. And now things are happening in this place. Now listen to this, verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the inhabitants of the West, uh, the West Coast province of Asia Minor, Jews as well as Greeks, heard the word of the Lord concerning eternal salvation through faith in Christ. In two years, the entire region had heard the gospel. So Paul comes into this area, and he meets a few men who know a little bit but don't know the full thing. He teaches them about Jesus. They get baptized, and then they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to teach and, and train these guys. Within two years, the whole region has heard the gospel. This is wild. This is, I mean, we're talking about the entire west coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. That whole region in two years, everybody there has heard the gospel. Now, look at this, verse 11. God was doing extraordinary and unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or face towels or aprons, uh, aprons <laughs> that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now you're seeing signs, wonders, supernatural miracles. Uh, just the, the, the fruit of the kingdom is flowing through Paul's life. And he's training a church in this mindset, okay? He says, uh, uh, Then some of the traveling Jewish exorcists also attempted to call the name of the Lord Jesus uh, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I implore you and solemnly command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, just think about this for a second. What Paul was doing must have been incredibly powerful, that actually the Jewish exorcists that come, they're going, hey, this, this, that's results that we've never seen before. This guy's got something that just works every time. And we have to do all these religious things, and half the time it doesn't even work anyway, and we don't even see the results. So now they're intimidated by this, but they recognize great power on this man's life. So what they do is they try and follow a formula. What does he say? Let's write down the words that he says. Okay, no. So he says, he seems to do it in the name of Jesus. So let's take that and let's try it. Well, let's see what happens to these guys. Seven sons of one named Sceva, a Jewish um, chief priest, were doing this. So now these seven sons, they come up and they try against, they try with this evil spirit. But the evil spirit retorted, I know and recognize and acknowledge Jesus, and I know about Paul, but as for you, who are you? Then the man uh, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, subdued all of them, and overpowered them, so that they ran out of the house in terror, stripped naked and wounded. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and exalted. Are you seeing the clear difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world? Now you've got the kingdoms of the world should be coming to the church and going, how are you getting the results that you're getting? Here's an example where they're actually trying to copy something just to see the same fruit, and they can't do it because they don't have the source. But we, as the people of God, the ecclesia, we have the source. We have the life of Jesus inside of us, and we're called to be more than just a people who gather and then get upset when our gatherings are taken away. And now it's like, well, what are we going to do? And, and I, I, I miss my seat in the same room that I sit in every Sunday. And, and that's a beautiful thing, don't get me wrong, but there's so much more for you. And I'm sharing this because I'm, what I'm sharing today, I'm trying to position us as 24-7 church to get on the front foot because I believe we've, we've come into a time where God's going to ask us to risk. 
where God's going to ask us to do things that in the natural are not going to make sense. And it's going to challenge governments. And it's going to challenge uh, society and the kingdoms of this world. It's going to cause people to ask questions. It's going to cause people to wrestle with their convictions. Because the church, the path of the righteous, is like the light of dawn, getting brighter and brighter until the full day. We are not a group of people that are getting dimmer and dimmer as uh, coronavirus is expanding or whatever's happening that they're saying. We're getting uh, smaller and smaller, dimmer and dimmer, more afraid. We're not afraid. I have the answer. I wear a mask to make you comfortable. I don't need to wear a mask. I know that if you touch me, you get healed. That's the mindset of the ecclesia. That's the mindset of the kingdom of God. That's not arrogance. That's confidence in what Jesus has paid for. I'm all about honoring you. I'm all about humility. I'll, I'm, I'll obey the regulations unless they contradict what my king has told me to do. Whoa. Okay. Uh, so the name of Jesus is magnified and exalted. There's something about Paul that I just love about this man. That he's walking in signs, wonders, miracles, and power. The presence and power of God on his life. Where he's disrupting an entire city. And yet... The fruit of his ministry is that the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and exalted. That people weren't going around just talking about Paul. They were, Paul was representing Jesus. And so the, the, the name that was getting the fame was Jesus. And what I love here in this chapter is here's Paul training up a community, training up an ecclesia in the region to live like this. And when you read the letter of Ephesians, read it in, with this chapter in, in your mind. Because you begin to see how Paul addresses every different area of society and family and religious disunity, ethnic disunity, different things that he's talking about that the kingdom brings solutions to. Okay, many of those who had become believers were coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. This is exciting. Check this out. Now, this scripture, what I'm about to read, remember what I just said to you where Jesus, in, in Matthew 16 we're in the middle of this demonic environment where there's three strongholds in a city and Jesus is saying, I've given you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of Hades are not going to overpower my ecclesia, my church. Now read this, verse 19. And many of those who had practiced magical arts collected their books and throwing book after book on the pile began burning them in front of everyone. They calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Pause. I, I like to do this kind of stuff. I went and researched what would 50,000 pieces of silver be worth today. Now, there's two different, one, it'll be billions and billions and billions if it's this example. But the one that I think is most accurate is that one piece of silver was uh, like a denarii. It was a day's wages. And uh, 50,000 pieces of silver today would equate to $5.5 million. So $5.5 million worth of dark magic and evil arts. I mean, you've just, you've just crumbled an entire industry in a city. You just got to understand this. Like what Paul has done with the ecclesia there, what they've done as a community is they have just crippled the demonic stronghold in a city that actually five and a half million dollars worth of magic arts and books and stuff is being burned, not sold or kept or or we'll use the money for something, burned. They're willing to throw all of that, the whole industry, just about. They're willing to get rid of this for something that's bigger and more valuable than what's happening around us. Are you seeing this? So the word of the Lord concerning eternal salvation through faith in Christ was growing greatly and prevailing. I love that. It's not just that the church was growing, growing greatly. Wow, lots of people are coming, and you can have thousands and thousands of people in your church, but not be prevailing in the city that you've been placed in. See, God actually wants the church to grow, but also to prevail. 
God's actually called us to bring the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. We are about transformation. We are about bringing the transforming power of God's kingdom here on the earth so that one day we can say the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Now, after these events, Paul determined in the spirit that he would uh, travel through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, you see there's Paul's apostolic movement there. He's actually saying, I'm training you up. I, I've got more places to I've got to go, but I'm training you up so that you can actually live in this. Um, and then it says, uh, after I've been there, I must also see Rome and preach the good news of salvation. And after sending two of his assistants, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia ahead of him, he stayed on in the west coast province of Asia Minor for a while. So he sends off uh, Timothy and Erastus to go ahead where he's going to be going, and he stays a little bit longer in the region that he's been in uh, where Ephesus is. And uh, about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. So what they're doing is actually offending the local government. What they're doing is so powerful, it's so mind-blowing, it's, it's changing the city, it's changing the dynamics, it's changing what's controlling and, 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 uh, and what, what's ruling the city, and they're bringing the kingdom of God. And it's not a kingdom of rebellion, it's not a kingdom of coming against the government, but what it is, is it's bringing the kingdom of God in reality that's starting to shift any uh, uh, unbeliever in their conviction and what they believe. They're asking questions, they're struggling with things, and entire industries are being shut down, and, and uh, now you're beginning to see the ecclesia govern. Now, I want to be real clear on this. This is not a group of people that are dishonoring their government. This is a group of people that are honoring their king, who is higher than any earthly government. And I want to encourage you with this. There is a way to honor and still be obedient to Jesus. There is a way to honor man, to honor people around you, to honor uh, the governments, the authorities, the leaders that have been placed in our country. We can still operate in honor, but we can obey God. And so the moment that obeying our local government or, or leaders and earth leaders, that, that that contradicts obeying God, we have a problem. Because obeying God goes above anything else here on the earth. Why? Because He's the King, and we're about His kingdom. And so we as the church need to wake up a little bit and shake our heads. And, and if you're listening to this and you're offended and you disagree with me, good. Let this shake the conviction in your heart. Because the reality is who is governing your life? Who is your king? Who do you bow to? Who do you worship? Because it's not just about the songs that you sing and, and, and who you're singing to. It's actually about who's ruling and reigning in your life. Who's governing the choices that you make? Who's the one who decides the convictions that you live by? The convictions that actually cause you to make decisions. So now when God says, go pray for that person, and you're going, oh, I can't because actually COVID's here. So you're going to stop being an ambassador for the kingdom just because of something that's been spoken. That's a natural thing. That's a, a, a ploy of the enemy to tame the church because he'll never be able to kill the church, but he'll try and tame the church. And if he can tame the church, he can slow down what Jesus will do and finish. And I'm saying, I don't want to slow down. I want to get faster and faster. I want to be the generation that actually gets as close as we possibly can to finishing this thing so that Jesus can come. So what happens here is uh, there's a disturbance. There's a disturbance concerning the church, concerning the ecclesia. I just like, can you just hear that for a second? There's a disturbance around the church, around the ecclesia. The church is not this group of people that just please everybody and know we're just in everybody's good books. 
No, we treat everybody in honor and in love, but we actually bring a disturbing kingdom that shakes you out of mediocrity, that shakes you out of unbelief, that shakes you out of darkness, that challenges the, the things that you believe in, that actually brings the truth and confronts you with something of eternal value and not just natural value. This is a powerful group of people that are disturbing a city in the most godly way. Oh. Now a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines um, of the goddess Artemis, was bringing no small profit to the craftsmen. These craftsmen he called together along with the workmen and similar trades and said, Men, you are well aware that we make a good living from this business. <laughs> I just find this funny. You see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but almost all over the province of Asia, this Paul has persuaded people to believe his teaching and has misled a large number of people claiming that gods made by human hands are not really gods at all. Shocker. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours will be discredited, but also that the magnificent temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and that she whom all Asia and the world has us, whom all Asia and the world worship. I mean, wow, what an exaggeration. These guys are, and it's so funny, this is their business. Like, this is an industry of idolatry. He says, even, uh, uh, and that she whom all Asia and the world worship will even be de dethroned. I love this word, dethroned and lose her glorious magnificence. Absolutely. That's exactly what we've come to do. We've come to dethrone strongholds, principalities, and demonic forces. We've come to enthrone Jesus in every city, in every home, in every marriage, in every business, everywhere that we go. We are not just a bunch of wimpy people that act super spiritual in one room and then pretend like we're unbelievers out there. Actually, no. We carry the kingdom of Jesus everywhere that we go, and we're going to bring the light of Jesus regardless on whether it blesses me or doesn't. I'm blessed because I'm a child of God, but I don't live for blessing. I live for the kingdom of God. That's the ecclesia. That's what God's called us to do, and it's time to get front-footed. That's why I'm not angry. I'm, I'm excited because I, I know that 24-7 church is called to model something in this city that is going to disturb the mediocrity and the comfort and the easygoing uh, mentality of Christians. We're actually going to cause Christians to rise up and realize we're getting brighter and brighter. So uh, you can carry on with this chapter, but I'm just going to uh, sum it up for you. So there's a disturbance, and, and it actually causes such a disturbance that they have to have a governmental gathering with the people and with the leaders of the city. And uh, long story short, Paul wants to get in there. They're keeping Paul away. They, they took some of Paul's colleagues, and, and uh, there's this little like trial going on. But they actually eventually have to close it because they're afraid of what Caesar's going to do based on riots with no uh, reason for them. Okay? So, but the point about this is that do you see how an entire city is rocked? by a group of people that are governing from another kingdom. An entire city, Paul has, has dislodged the, the demonic, satanic powers over a city. That's what he's done. He is shaken, and it's so beautiful. You read in, um, in Ephesians at the end when he talks, Ephesians 6, when he talks about putting on the armor of God, and he describes the church almost like in a defensive position. And I love this. It's because he's actually already dislodged the demonic stronghold in that area. And so the devil's firing shots from a distance. He's actually lost ground. The devil doesn't have ground. So Paul's saying, hey, make sure you're, you're covered in the armor of God so that none of these things, these, these arrows that are coming from a distance actually affect you, but you carry on doing what God's called you to do. Ooh. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we know this, that the kingdom of God is found and experienced and lived in the Holy Spirit, okay? 
So without the Holy Spirit, if you haven't listened to the, the series we've done over the last month or so, you need to go back and listen and learn about Holy Spirit in your life because the kingdom of God is lived in the Holy Spirit. But there's three things that I find very interesting that are mentioned as the expression, as the tangible thing we can, we can actually feel and look at that shows us what the kingdom does and what it, what it is to, to us and to others. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, yes, number one, we know, identity, that we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, that He has made us right with God. So there's righteousness in the kingdom that, that's been given to us as a free gift from the Lord. But there's also horizontal uh, righteousness that flows from the believer to others. And another way that you could talk about it is the justice of God. And the justice of God is not something that's separate from mercy. See, the earthly justice is just about right and wrong. Godly justice is actually about transformation and relationship with God. And so the justice of Jesus is always clothed in mercy. But the righteousness of God is when we as believers who have been made righteous by Jesus are now making the wrong things right according to the kingdom of God. So everywhere we go, we can make the wrong things right by bringing the solutions of the kingdom into those spheres of influence or into the conversations and the people that we interact with and meet. The righteousness of God is us bringing the rightfulness of God, the, 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 the holiness, the perfectness of His kingdom, uh, the attributes, the fruit of the kingdom of God. We're bringing that into existence here on the earth. So it's righteousness for us and it's righteousness for others. Um, peace and joy. I believe peace and joy are actually fruits of righteousness. I believe that when you bring the righteousness of God, what you will see manifest is peace with God and with others. Because suddenly people forgive when they weren't able to forgive because they've been forgiven. Suddenly they're not afraid of the things they were afraid of because they're secure in the source that's actually God. They're not afraid of financial things. They're not afraid of COVID-19. They're not afraid. There's peace. They have peace with God and peace with man because I'm walking in the realm of peace that God's given me through His kingdom. And then joy that the people of the kingdom of God have the joy of salvation so strong inside of them. Number one, yes, that they're saved, that they've been saved by God, but the joy of salvation for others, that they're actually excited about people encountering God, getting saved, meeting the king, because this kingdom is beautiful. This is not a, a kingdom where God's this dictator trying to, no, actually, this is a beautiful king that you will be completely um, captivated by and, and someone who you want to spend all your time with, somebody who his leading and his lordship over your life is the most beautiful and perfect thing you'll ever experience. And so the kingdom that we're bringing is the most joyous, peaceful kingdom um, that brings the righteousness of God into the reality of our daily lives. See, we've always understood righteousness just in the context of me alone with God. And that's beautiful because God's designed you to have personal, intimate relationship with him. But righteousness is also actually a tool and a weapon of the kingdom that we bring the righteousness of, of God into spheres of society and into situations. And that's why it's so beautiful in Revelations, it talks about the bride being clothed in righteous deeds. Righteous deeds, that actually we're, we're clothing the bride, we're clothing the ecclesia of God in deeds of righteousness, acts of righteousness, acts of the kingdom of God. In Revelations 12, 11, it says that they overcame and conquered him, being the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they did not love their life and renounce their faith even when faced with death. That's a bride for his glory. That's a church that's actually saying we can overcome and conquer the devil and the influence of hell on the earth because it's there. The gates of Hades, I mean, you just have to look at what's going on around us. Jesus doesn't orchestrate racism and riots, and he doesn't orchestrate uh, 
corruption and things that are going on. Uh, that's demonic influence. But actually, we as the ecclesia of God are the solution that creation is crying out for. In Romans 8, it says that all creation is crying out for the revealing of the true sons and daughters of God. What does that mean? It, it's the ecclesia of God. It's the, the assembly of, of children uh, of the kingdom that are called out to govern, that have authority and power over the demonic strongholds and, and, and things that we're facing in this time and this age. And so we overcome and we conquer the devil by the blood of the Lamb, number one, what Jesus has done. Again, what's the foundation that the church is built on? The revelation of Jesus Christ. We overcome because of Him, the blood of the Lamb. And then this is beautiful, the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is because we're called to be witnesses of what we've received. We're called to be witnesses of what we've seen, witnesses of what we've encountered. The word of our testimony is actually that, let me tell you who Jesus is because I've met Him. He's my King. And then, this is beautiful. This describes what kind of people we are, that we don't love our own lives, and, and, and we're not afraid of death. We're not going to renounce our faith. I want to just say this. The Amplified words are that they do not love their lives and renounce their faith, even when faced with death. And when I read that, it stirred me because I realized this. We picture renouncing your faith when somebody, you know, is going to kill you, and they say, deny Jesus, and then it's like, oh, I don't want to renounce my faith. Well, there's many Christians every day renouncing their faith with every decision that they make. And so this is what's so beautiful is you can renounce your faith actually by the decisions that you're making. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about you going to heaven. I'm talking about the faith that you live by. You're actually renouncing what you believe by making decisions to choose the way of man rather than what God's actually saying over his bride. So this, please hear me. I'm not talking about you being saved. I'm talking about you living what God's called you to live. So there's renouncing your faith, yes, when you're at the end of your life. You don't want to deny Jesus. But actually every day, are you renouncing your faith? Or are you actually living in faith for the purposes of the kingdom to see his kingdom established on the earth? That's, I know that sounds heavy, but that's really not a heavy. That's supposed to encourage you to say you need to sit with the Lord and let him transition you from a place of mediocrity, from a place of, of comfort, from a place of waiting for everything else to just kind of happen and I'll just fit in and I'm waiting for the next person to tell me what to do. No, actually you are called as a son and a daughter of God to be a part of the ecclesia, the, the, the called out ones to govern on the earth, to bring the kingdom of God. We can be a church that sees a, a city disturbed in the most beautiful way with the presence and power of God where entire demonic industries come crippling down because of the people of God. And, you know, you go, wow, Connor, that's such a beautiful dream. How does this happen? It happens when it's not just one or two people standing behind a pulpit, but when it's everyday deeds and acts of love and righteousness, acts of the kingdom through every believer happening constantly, every day, little bit by little bit, every sphere. I mean, if you just think about the church in Johannesburg, uh, you know, all of us, all together, all the churches, you think about how much reach we have, how many spheres of influence and, and spheres of society we have influence in. And if the church knew who we are, and if the ecclesia or the ecclesia of God, if we understood what we're here to do and what we're here to bring, then we're going to see transformation as a reality and not just a song that we sing. We're going to see transformation actually as a reality for us, for our families, for the people that we have contact with, but also for entire regions, for entire um, industries as well. And, uh, and I feel like now this is the time to begin to think like this, to begin to allow the lens of our life to be changed and transformed so that we can see clearly what God is asking of us as His ecclesia and what He's empowered us to do. Um, because we don't just want to be 
uh, a group of people that don't look any different to the world in the midst of a global disaster. We are the solution. They're looking for a vaccine, and a vaccine is this tiny little part of actually this huge problem, when the reality is, uh, you know, we, we carry the life, the eternal life of Jesus in us. When that flows through the ecclesia, we are the solution to every problem that the world is looking for, and not because we have some extra wisdom. You don't have to be the most learned, studied uh, you know, person with 14 degrees. No, actually, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, and that is the only reason why we are the solution, because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And this is what I want to encourage you with today and say, get your hopes up, stir up your faith. If, if there's things, if, I, if what I've said to you today is causing niggles and you're frustrated and struggling with things in your heart, then confront those things head on and let the truth of the gospel set you free. And if you need to find uh, leaders and, and people you can trust, spiritual leaders in your life, sit with them, wrestle with this, get to the foundations of the gospel, make sure your identity is strong in God so that we can actually go forward together as a healthy uh, a fire-filled ecclesia of God to release the kingdom everywhere that we go. That's my heart. That's my desire for us as 24-7. And we're coming into a time now, uh, we've entered into it already, where God's going to ask of us to risk much, to, to have faith for things that you wouldn't normally just have faith for. And it's not because of your faith. It's because of the faith of Jesus that's been given to you through the Holy Spirit, that you can look at the impossible and smile and say, I'm so excited to see God actually invade this situation. And so this is not just for a few people. This is a, I often feel sometimes you share a message like this and people, they, rather than admiring Jesus, they admire the person sharing the message and go, wow, what a powerful, young, um, you know, passionate man. And that's so great that he's preached that. If that's you, I love you and thank you. But really what I'm sharing today is, is so that you would be challenged. Let this challenge you. Let this stir it in your heart and say, okay, God, I want to be who you've called me to be. I want to walk in obedience. And I, I want to reiterate, I'm not calling for a, a rebellion movement. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying it is time for the church to rise up. It is time. And, and in a moment like this where I believe not even the government knows what to do, we have the answer. We have the solution. Now, you either believe that or you don't. But I encourage you, when you believe that, put your faith to that. Begin to actually risk. Begin to step out. Begin to try things that maybe seem a little bit crazy to you, but actually ask the Lord, Father, are you telling me to step out? Are you telling me to pray for that person or, or give food to that person or sow finances into this or start that business or uh, all these different things? Just ask the Lord and then begin to step out and risk. I'll end with this. Um, you know, I've read of a beautiful story of a, a businesswoman in China, and this was many years ago, and the Lord grabbed a hold of her with the message of the kingdom, and she realized that actually uh, God had given the, this business, she was the CEO of a business, and God had given her this business to reach people, not just to make money. And uh, so what she did was she made Jesus the CEO, no, she made, she made the father the, the, um, the chairman of the board, she made Jesus the CEO, and she made the Holy Spirit her personal advisor. And, uh, and she shifted her whole company around the focus of the kingdom, and she looked at her employees um, and she, the people that she had in her company, and she said, Lord, this is the congregation that you've given me. Now, she was a part of a local church and serving, but she looked at this as a sphere of influence that God had given her and said, these are the people you've entrusted to me to bring the kingdom of God. And so they, there was a whole bunch of stuff that she did, but she was intentional on discipling these people and actually bringing them into the kingdom and equipping them to go and invade, using their business as a vehicle for the kingdom. And it's amazing because she said uh, income wasn't their, their focus. They weren't actually going after money. 
They were going after the kingdom. But God provides and takes care of people when they're doing the things of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. So you might look at yourself and go, well, I'm in business. I'm not in ministry. Lie. You're in ministry. You're in full-time ministry. You're actually in the ministry that God's given to you right now in this season to reach as many people as you can. So turn up the flame. Set your heart on fire. Ask Holy Spirit to come, fill you, baptize you afresh. Grab a hold of the message that I've shared with you this morning and run with the gospel because now's the time for the church to see the supernatural become normal. So I, I want to encourage you that. I want to pray for you. I also want to just say that I'm sharing this message to position us for we're going into. Uh, from next week, we start a, a series on faith and finances. And uh, you say the word finances in the church has a little freak out because they're not free. So get free. Um, but, but faith and finances, we want to talk about this. We, we are prepared to risk and step out to see the supernatural in healing and, and, and miracles. But what about the supernatural in finances? What about seeing the supernatural explode in finances? And so we want to talk about faith and finances and also want to talk about God and money. Um, and, and together with our, our team and my folks, we're going to begin to teach into that uh, and actually begin to release truth in the area of finances so that the church can be the most financially free people that are on the face of the earth. Not financially secure in the sense that we have everything figured out. Financially free because we know who our source is. And we're ready to see the kingdom advance. And it just so happens that money is a great way on the earth practically to see these things happen. And we need money to do things like our land. And so that's why I want to encourage you. So if it's 20 rand, so 20 rand. But sow it in faith because in that 20 is a whole lot of 20s. And so God multiplies what you have in your hand. Take this, the, the seed of faith and sow it into the things that God's leading you into. So if you're in your homes, stand up with me. Get excited. Position your heart in faith. And I want to pray for you and I want to release the fire of God uh, over you and over your home and over your families. And uh, I want to commission you and uh, and release you as ministers, ambassadors of the kingdom of God into every single area of your life. And I want to encourage you the next time that you actually come to a church gathering, when we, when we have our gatherings again, come ready to be equipped so that you can go. Because this is a coming and going movement. This is come in together, gather, minister to God, experience Him, be equipped, and then go out and change the world. So Father, I just pray right now. Wow, I pray for this beautiful 24-7 community. And I love our name so much, Lord. I know that names aren't a big deal, but I just love our name because it's not about a brand or, <laughs> or some kind of movement. It's about you, Jesus. And we just want to be your ecclesia. We want to be the people of God 24-7, 365 forever. What we're going to do in heaven with you, we want to start doing here on the earth, Lord. We want to bring heaven to earth. We want to see your kingdom come, your will be done in every single individual life, in our families, in our homes, in our businesses. And so, Lord, today, if we haven't given you our whole lives, we just repent, Lord. We change the way that we think. We say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I've been selfish in my, in my perspective, selfish in the way that I've tried to live my life during this time. But I come, and I just come with joy. I come with hope. I come with faith. And I say, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you that actually you look at me and you equip me and clothe me with everything that I need to be who you've called me to be. And so right here in this moment, Lord, I don't have to have this all figured out. I just give you my yes. I just give you my heart. I just say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm just positioning myself as clay in the potter's hand. That you would shape, that you would mold 
And I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that regardless on, on whether we think we're extroverts or introverts, Lord, you conquered every insecurity and you gave us the love of Jesus so that we could actually be who you've called us to be. We will not be shaped and defined by the world's labels. We will be defined by the label that God gave his children, sons and daughters. And so I just thank you for that, Father. I, I release the anointing of Holy Spirit on every businessman and woman right now, an anointing to preach the gospel, not just to make money, an anointing to preach the gospel, an anointing to see the kingdom come. I pray for every mother and every child. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're actually raising up a, a whole prophetic generation right now, even in the homes where mothers and children will find the solutions to business problems and, and to uh, financial situations and, and even within schools and universities and uh, little hangouts with your friends and <laughs> every little aspect of our lives that actually, God, you're going to use your people. And so I just thank you for favor, the favor of God on 24-7 church. Lord, we just say yes uh, to the individual callings on our life, but we say yes to the corporate call that you've given 24-7 church to, to pioneer something, but also, Lord, to lay our lives down for what you've given us. And so we just say, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done uh, in, our, in our hearts and lives, on our land, everywhere that we go, every, every gathering that we have, Lord Jesus, and, and to, to every area of our lives that we go out and minister. Thank you, Jesus, for your kingdom. So right now, I just release the presence of God. I thank you. I feel to say this, I don't know why, but I just thank you, Lord, that, that your anointing isn't always solemn and, and, uh, and quiet. And sometimes your, your anointing is wild. Sometimes your anointing is front-footed and aggressive and, and full of joy and it's exuberant and vibrant. And uh, so, Lord, I thank you that I, I don't have to get everybody still and quiet for you to move. That right now you're healing people. You're touching backs. You're touching uh, thoughts and minds, Lord Jesus. You're, you're, you're transforming. I just see addictions right now falling off of people, not because you're trying to get free, but because you're receiving the truth. So I thank you, Jesus, that as people receive the truth, that you would bring the most full expression of liberty and freedom to every single one of us. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the healings. Thank you for the miracles. I, I speak to the finances of our church, uh, our whole congregation right now. And I just say, Lord, thank you for seed to sow and then an expectation that God provides, not the other way around. I just release that right now. Thank you for a confidence that you've given us. Even if it's the tiniest amount, you've given us seed to sow with a confidence and expectation for God to provide. We don't wait for you to provide before we sow. We sow because we know you provide. So I thank you for this beautiful shift happening right now in our community. We love you. We bless you, Jesus. Have your way in our lives. Come and touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for, for tuning in and uh, spending some time with us, giving us the morning uh, just to, to share this with you. I pray that you've been equipped. I pray that you've been encouraged. And I pray that you're exploding on the inside with faith, hope, and expectancy for the kingdom. Uh, I want to encourage you to make sure you get involved in things that are happening in the week. Uh, if you are not a member of 24-7 Church and you've been uh, following along with what we're doing, but your heart burns with what we're talking about, please get in contact with us. Send a message to our Facebook page or Instagram page, and uh, we will make sure one of our leadership team contact you. Uh, we want you to get plugged in. God's doing something incredible, and um, we believe in the church globally. We believe that the church is the answer, and we have the privilege of putting our hands and feet here in the soil of North Riding, Joburg North, uh, to see God's kingdom come. So join us. Get involved with us. Let's change the world together. Um, so there's so many things you can get involved with. Do that. But we love you. Bless you. We'll see you in the week, or we'll see you next week online for our first Sunday of Faith and Finances. Bless you guys.